Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, my dudes, and uh tell you a little something, the boys are back in town. The boys are back. We're almost August, which is freaking nuts. Uh, July 29th when this episode comes out and we are about to enter training camp and I feel like it's going to be a messy August. I'm feeling a little more optimistic than I have previously in regards to there being a season. We did see Don Hightower, Patrick Chung both for the season and I have I still don't grasp fully. If you opt out, you can come back. No, you can't. It's a one-time decision. Okay, I was wrong about that. We'll get into it. The Ravens end up seeing DeAnthony Thomas, Dre Smith out, and I was not aware of that. So I was thinking, eh, maybe this is a little sneaky sneaky reserve option. The Ravens are usually the mastermind stuff like that, but they'll not be coming back. They'll not be participating uh, in the 20 season. And apparently Nick Foles is also going to opt out. Uh, but, you know, it's expected. Some players have kids. Some players have newborns. The Hightower just had a baby like weeks ago. And you cannot knock them under any circumstance for that. But if we see this kind of scale up a lot into a lot of players opting out, this season might be an asterisk kind of season. It already has a little tiny bit of that feeling. But, of course, we're still going to love to watch football. Um, NBA's been going crazy, in my opinion. They've had a couple couple players had to deal with some personal issues. Obviously, the Magic Stings thing is just hilarious. But uh, not that important because the playoffs haven't started. So, Lou, go get them wings, baby. Do you? Uh, it is what it is. And yeah, so I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. I wouldn't be shocked to see a postponement in the season. I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, kickoff get pushed back a couple weeks as they figure things out. It is looking like maybe they should have tried to figure out, figure out a bubble situation because uh, it's going crazy well for the MLB. Baseball is a mess right now. Uh, so hopefully they're able to sort things out. The NBA is just trying to get to the playoffs. Obviously, it's easier for basketball. They got a lot of like a smaller roster and all that good stuff. But we'll see. It's interesting, interesting stuff going on. Content literally never stops this year. It's nuts. 
So I guess we'll jump into some of the stuff that we pretty much had already touched on right there. You talked about the guys that were opting out. Uh, yeah, the list is just kind of growing and growing. It kind of felt like it started out yesterday. That was Monday at the time of this recording with DeAnthony Thomas opting out for the Ravens today. Tuesday, that is, we got the news of Andre Smith opting out, the reserve tackle that they had signed back in February. They're going to be bringing on Parker Ehinger, Ehinger, Inger, Anger. Anger. Um, anger. Anger. I'm going to go with Anger. Parker Anger. Okay. Uh, he was the guy who saw some time with the Ravens last year. Uh, he suited up for, I think, two games. Didn't really see much time, but he's being brought in to uh, effectively replace Smith's spot as a swing tackle of sorts. A little bit of a different uh, type of player there. He's a younger guy who does not have much uh, you know, experience, You know, doesn't have any pelts on the wall like Smith uh, sort of does. So uh, you know, it's interesting to see. But a lot of guys around the league, like you mentioned, Hightower, Patrick Chung, a lot of guys on the Patriots, a lot of galaxy brain. Uh, oh, Bill Belichick is masterminding this thing takes, which is always entertaining. I mean, sometimes that's like a funny, cool thing to do. Uh, with this case, uh, you probably can't really make much of a compelling argument at all. And, uh, you know, it just seems like kind of a, the low-hanging fruit joke that I'm not going to laugh at. But, yeah, you know, you've had a lot of that going on. MLB, an absolute shit show. We did write down baseball talk, so I guess we can jump into that, too. Orioles were supposed to play the Miami Marlins, the fighting Derek Jeter's, uh, whose clubhouse has de- descended into absolute COVID chaos. And that's actually a good name for the eventual movie that's going to be made about this COVID chaos. Um, Michael Moore, Michael Moore documentary. Uh, for sure. He's going to be all over it. Uh, Got to get him out of Flint first. I, I mean, they should probably solve that problem first too, but that's neither here nor, here nor there. But you, yeah, the Marlins, not, not a good scene down there. They had, what, like 10 guys initially testing positive. I think another four came out today. Uh, as reported by a lot of these uh, Ken Rosenthal-type figures within MLB media. So uh, tough, especially, you know, with the Orioles, they were scheduled to play them. That's been now put off. The Orioles are going to be playing the Yankees. Sounds like the Marlins are going to be postponing things for a while. And uh, we're going to see what happens with that situation. I feel like it's pretty uh, germane to the NFL. They're probably going to want to keep an eye on how they handle it because there are going to be positive cases. I don't think that's really an opinion or a hot take or anything anymore. It's just a fact. And uh, depending on whether we see a team have an outbreak like we saw to the scale of Miami, uh, it's going to be pretty important to keep an eye on. For sure. And, you know, it's going to get into locker rooms. It's going to happen. You're going to have to have situations. It's all part part of this whole messy situation. Uh, I think it's just important to take it easy. Don't get too upset about anything. Uh, the players are too. And let them, let them do what's best for them. And I'm glad that these kinds of things are being included that you cannot out that, you know, you get a little chunk of change and it's, it's not create a ton of animosity, but players league that's absolutely what is not needed during such a trying time with all these adjustments. You need to, you need to both be on the stage here to get things to function, uh, to make that, that core $13 billion TV revenue that the NFL brought in last year, which, I can only assume is going to be, I can't even imagine how, how many viewers they'll get. If they're able to get a nice clean 16 game season somehow, I would think it would go over 20 billion in TV revenue, the advertisements, everything people watching from home, limited fan capacity. So I'm sure NFL is really probably trying to do everything in their interest to get this show on the road. Uh, it's exciting to have Patrick queen, the rookie class as a whole Dobbins, Duvernay, boys, Blink Harrison, 
get to see the facility for the first time this week. Uh, Lamar Jackson enters the facility as the reigning MVP for the first time in Owen Mills. So the boys are in town. We're here, there, and excited. Hollywood Brown is still going insane on Instagram, working out like a madman two-a-days, doing speed uh, and, and route running and agility stuff You know, early afternoon and then lifting at night. Uh, dude on a freaking path, he will be third round fantasy for me. That is solidified, I believe. Uh, my legs, and I'm excited. I'm excited that everybody's back. Excited to see what's going on, and it's good stuff. Look at that. You're back. I'm back. I love it. I, you know, still, I, there's still a chance that things kind of, uh, you know, dissipate, but I think now, I think the NBA is really showing them the way. I think the NBA is doing a great job and showing them. So I do wonder, though, like if they're clearly not going to be taking the same level of precaution because they kind of can't as the NBA. They're not doing the bubble thing. Uh, maybe they could have done that if they had planned it out well in advance. But here we are. They're not doing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's some some calls for concern, but I'm glad to see that you have uh, climbed down off of the proverbial ledge. Yes, I, I'm uh, I would think yeah. hindsight's 2020, but I would think that if they were to bubble, I would cut the game to 10 seasons or t- cut the season to games. I would drop, or no, not 12. I would do 12 games up in our conference play. And I would either do a divisional bubble where you have a home base and maybe you need to travel to another bubble for a couple of games or whatever. Uh, so maybe there's, you know, eight bubbles or two bubble or conference and playoff start way down the road from now. So those are the things I think they could have possibly tried to do. They did have so much time, but I mean, we didn't think it was going to be the way it is now. Uh, in April, we thought you and I had kind of like the July 4th hope. And by, I mean, they were just trying to themselves some time and it is what it is, but uh, not going to be a bubble. Basketball did it, but it does show precautions that truly do need to be in place for players to keep testing negative and how, they have. They truly have to quarantine, man. They, the only way you cannot test positive, apparently, and by the NBA, is if you are truly quarantined. Um, so that kind of puts it on theirs. It puts it on their own prerogative, and what it means to them, and what this means to them, and all that good stuff. And if you want to go get damn good wings at Mike City, uh, you have to play for a couple weeks. It is what it is. Got the endorsement from Johnny Manziel in those wings too, which you love to hear. Oh yeah, I love the love uh, I love all the content that's coming out of the NBA. You got that uh, NBA bubble uh, guy or whatever that's on Twitter that's putting some updates out. It's pretty cool. It's like they're having like a little slumber party just for however many thousands of guys that are in that league. You know, they're like fishing together. They're playing a little golf in their little. Uh, bubble they got them they a barber set up. Looks like the food's been hooked up a little better. If they had done that with the NFL, that would have been sick. I get the I get that it's like much harder to do with uh, exponentially more players uh, and staff and everything. But like if they were to organize it where they went to like some facility in like Ohio or something where they just like had all this stuff that they could work with, I don't even know where you would do it necessarily with three thousand players plus all the extra thousand staff and whatnot. But if you could have made it work, then it would have been pretty. At least content wise, it would have been would have been pretty sick. They could have done like all or nothing like. But just for the entire league in one in one space. That's so true. It would have been awesome. That's so true. And the NBA has this awesome, like, I don't know, college, high school feel to it right now. Like, I feel like I'm excited because the the now that there's no bands, it's kind of on the bench in the NBA to bring like the noise. And they always get excited. I mean, you see an alley oop, your teammate does an alley, you see everybody stand up and oh 
it's it's exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of fun off that way. I thought baseball was going to go in that direction because they always have the crazy out stuff, and that's just part of playing the game of big fun. I, I foresee some fun stuff coming in the end, but hope that NFL gets everything together and can operate cleanly and give us a beautiful football season, and we do get robbed of a Raven Super Window year in some capacity. I don't want to, I don't even want an asterisk with it, but it feels like the Ravens are ready for ball. Uh, a lot of young guys team that are still kind of trying to prove themselves. Not a lot of, you know, older heads for the most part on defense. There's a few, but not a lot of family guys, not a lot of, you know, uh, none of them I feel like as opposed to some other teams. So feels like this year's just going to be about ball and it's fun that way. I'm all about ball, man. You know me. Ball is life. I always say that. The ball team. As our friend Anthony Renato. The ball is the team. Yeah, I I keep forgetting about that. I got to like write that down somewhere. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder like, I don't mean to get all Eeyore Schultz on you talking about like things getting canceled. But like, I do wonder about like contracts and everything. If that were to happen, like, do they lose a year on that? Is it just like suspended for a year? What do you think it would be? I would have to think there's going to be a special, some sort of special way of pro- prolonging the contract while guaranteeing more money something it, it's really difficult exemption year. uh yeah an exemption year of some sort teams get an option something they have to pay the player x amount of dollars uh that that would be a mess that would be a mess 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 and they've already been negotiating upon how to kind of kick the salary a little bit and all this stuff and how to spread it out um and i feel like that's a little nearsighted and again, my sentiment is that if you can't take one year of reduced profits, uh, let alone maybe a little bit of loss, should not be able to own a football team. There's enough rich people in this country and in the world. I don't think you should be able to own an NFL team if you can't, you know, survive a year and it doesn't, you know, cripple you. Yeah, I think it comes partially back to like there's a quote going around. I think like Sean Doolittle was like saying it, where like sports are a reward for a functioning society. I I kind of. I mean, I kind of think that's a, maybe a little corny and naive on in some level, but there is some truth to it as well. And I think it uh, it speaks to your sort of point there, where if you're going to be putting this massive investment into something like this, you have to assume some risk and you can't just kind of sit back and say like, oh, well, this is just like a money printing machine. That's why I got into it. And I'm never going to assume any risk or take any losses on it uh, because 99% of the time, that's what these franchises are. And this is uh, the 1% of the time where these 32 uh, otherwise extremely well-off guys are kind of getting screwed on this uh, a little bit. So, yeah, I think um, as naive potentially as it is for me to say, maybe just nut up a little bit and, uh, you know, take some losses on the year if you have to, you know. Protect our league. Yeah, I I, I think it's going to be reduced profit even, though, is the thing. And, of course, that comes with, you know, that's a, a whole slippery slope you can get down into of, you know, how that projects and how that actually does lose money and yada, yada, yada. But... Long story short, my sentiment rock solid is that if you can't survive one year of a situation like this, you shouldn't be able to own an NFL football team. And, you know, we kind of see the fun situations in the show Billions and and when Ari Gold and Entourage wants to get in and get a team in Los Angeles and all that stuff. And uh, I feel like it's kind of true of how, how they vet you to become an owner. And there's a lot more than just how much money you have and all that good stuff. But in the end, you got to be able to, to float the ship in a time of need. Uh, if you're going to own something that's so substantial and means so much to so many people and it is a game and you can make fun of it, but I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you probably feel that it's, you know, not just a game, uh, but at the end of the day it is. So 
it's tough, 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 tough stuff. Uh, we will know more in the coming weeks. I believe 20 players tested positive in the last round of testing, which is really good for 80 times 32, which is 3,000 something, I think. I think it's like, well, it's more than that. that was 80, 20, I guess you're right. 500, roughly, roughly 2,500. Uh, I'm not a guy. Yeah, somewhere around 2,500 players. So I, I believe that's pretty good. Um, and again, dudes are going to have to quarantine if they want to win a, uh, a Lombardi trophy. You know, Lamar can't be running around town. I feel like he's not even like that anyway. Uh, he, us- he feels like a pretty big homebody for the most part. Well, we did so, have a little bit of smoke on social media. I think uh, old Patty Queen was getting a little snippy with the uh, rules about having to stay home and like kind of not, you know, go to the club or whatever. I don't know exactly what he was saying, but something about getting a little unhappy about some of those types of rules. And then Tucker kind of came back, Justin Tucker, and said, uh, if you can stay out of the club for, uh, you know, just one season, then I will take you out to the club personally uh, in early February or something like that. That's awesome. Good for Tuck. Good for Tuck. Yeah. They, uh, the, the Harbaugh run a tight ship. I think not doing what you're supposed to be. Going to be on you like flies on shut your mouth. And we'll see. If uh, like Gus Edwards isn't getting any touches in like week four and he hasn't like fumbled or anything to put him in the doghouse, then you know he was probably out at like 11 or something, just having himself a grand old time. Gus dropped like a little E or album or something too, if I'm not mistaken. He did? And he actually just signed his, his tender, uh, yeah. restricted free agent. I saw that. Yeah, right. I was very worried when I saw the tweet with just his name. And then I read through the full thing because I thought he was going to be opting out as well. Uh, thankfully not. He signed his tender. He will be playing in 2020. God willing. God willing. And love the Gus bus. Uh, the four running. I mean, the miners really benefit from ha- having Mostert, Coleman, uh, McKinnon, I think, has still been banged up this whole time. And then they had Brita. And I mean, they rostered and had, you know, a little bit of in, a little bit of capital invested in four guys. And that worked amazingly well for them when you run the ball so much. You need to. And a team that didn't work out for very well was the Seahawks. Run the ball a ton. Ran the ball the third most in the league. Chris Carson went down. Rashad Penny went down. And then they had to bring in, you know, Beast Mode, who is obviously, you know, his best day well behind him. And uh, then they had a couple other you know, the street guys running the ball and it didn't go so well. Uh, Chris Carson was a huge loss. Rashad Penny was a huge loss. So when you depend on the ball so effectively, like the Ravens did, were you know, higher efficiency than about 18 teams in terms of EPA in just their run game versus those 18 teams passing game, you need backs, man. You need backs, you need linemen, you need tight ends. You need all that, that whole system in place. So I'm glad the Ravens have more uh, in hindsight, even though we kind of freaked out when they took J.K. Dobbins a little bit. It, it will probably end up for the best. Especially if you know, let's say Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards, God forbid, go down, or or even Dobbins, they've got they've got fresh bodies to run the ball that'll know the offense. Well, don't tell that to our buddy uh, Voss, who thinks it may be a franchise altering mistake. The more that he thinks about it, I don't he mean to air him out. Really, Slack chat. They should have drafted Denzel Mims. Really thinks they should have drafted Denzel Mims. I see his. I see that point to a certain extent, but I just I don't know about getting franchise altering worked up about a second round pick, regardless. No, little little overreaction, but it's okay. We still love you, Vaz. You're my guy. You know that. Uh, you mentioned Seattle there. They they made a little bit of a big move uh, over the weekend, was it? It's a blockbuster. That's a blockbuster move. Blockbuster move, Jamal Adams getting sent to the Seahawks. Exact terms of the deal, I don't know exactly. I think they sent Adams in a fourth rounder, maybe, or was it a third rounder? 
uh, to the Seahawks in exchange for a first, I think two first round picks, right? It was the next two years, first round picks, 2021, 2022. Then the Jets got the Seahawks third and moved back to fourth. The problem is it's literally impossible to even look up, so we can't figure it out. It is so impossible. Yeah, they got strong picks and they moved down uh, from the third to the fourth, which isn't a huge move because this is from the Jets are going to stink. Okay, this is from Shefty. Trade Jets deal Jamal Adams and fourth round pick in 2022 to Seattle in exchange for Bradley McDougald, who's a safety. First round pick in 21, 2021. Third round pick in 2021 and first round pick in 2022, source tells ESPN. Okay. So the third and the fourth are in different years? So you've got the fourth in 2022 and that's with Adam. So the jets are sending that forth. And then the third is 2021 going to the jets. Okay. So it's a year apart. So it's really a two round swap out. Um, yeah. Similar to what the Jags got for Jalen Ramsey, similar situation. I, I kind of have compared those two situations. Player wants out player wants new contract play for a good team. Uh, ends up getting shipped for two first round picks and a little extra capital. And Autumn goes to Seattle. You know, it's easy. I my initial gut reaction: Why the hell are you trading two first round picks for non, you know, quarterback, or left tackle, or something? Uh, you know, Tunsil got that, and and Tunsil's you know one of the probably five best left tackles in the game. Uh, Adams obviously is spectacular. My thoughts on him are well documented. Then you look at the Seahawks; they have that same kind of strategy as the Rams. They in the first round that often they like even commodity they like the big names they brought in Clowney. they brought in josh gordon uh they really stay drafting in the first round and developing first round draft picks over the last decade uh if you go back only real notable one is, it is 2010 when they took okung and earl thomas and since then it's been like lj collier rashad penny uh, a couple other guys that haven't been you know big time players and pff came out and said that based on their, you know, algorithms of war, of wins above replacement, long story short, that Jamal Adams has bigger impact than two median first-round picks down the road and that other pick moving back, then vice versa. And you can see that. And Jamal Adams, you know, fills a huge need for the Seahawks. Bobby Wagner's getting a little old. KJ Wright's getting a little old. Uh, they still have the veteran leadership. So Adams can go in there. Uh, get the vibes of the locker room, get the deep down pat year one, then probably get a mega extension. And you you obviously know that the Seahawks are going to pay him top of the market or they wouldn't have traded for him. So it's not a big deal. They're going to give him what he wants. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a big mess, but Seahawks don't draft well in the first round. They feel Jamal Adam really helps them kind of win a game against the 49ers or, I mean, that division's looking really tough this year to me. So Adams could be a huge, huge, huge player guy that can cover, you know, George Kittle, and also go hit George Kittle uh, and, and maybe shed a block and make a tackle. So big, big, big move. And I think it's good for the Seahawks. I think it's good for the Jets. They're, you're not getting anything out of a, out of a safety when your team sucks. You know, it's not uh, some major thing. So yeah, happy for Jamal Adams. Love the dude. LSU players love to complain, apparently. So, I mean, at this point, Jarvis wanted out of Miami. Odell wanted out of New York. Uh, Tyron Matthew has been disgruntled several times. So, I mean, must be down in the bayou, Coach O and, and Les Miles, or yeah, Les Miles were teaching them, you know, go get what you want. Don't let anyone tell you how to play in the NFL. You know, go be in the good situation that's conducive to you winning. And really, I think it turned out well for maybe everyone besides Odell so far, feels like. 
Uh, Odell still kind of TBD, but wasn't going great in New York anyway. So we'll see what happens in Cleveland. But LSU guys, they they get to the point, man. Hopefully Patrick Queen is not afflicted with uh, whatever's going on with them. Um, also, my thoughts on war. What is it good for? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's, I'm sure it's a great stat. But yeah, I don't know. I like this move a lot. I saw some blowback uh, on Twitter from... A lot of the more analytical, uh, you know, inclined people and personalities. I get it from that perspective, but I'm also, like we were kind of talking about there with the whole second round pick thing, but on a much different scale, I just don't really think overly deeply about that stuff when it's for a player of this caliber. I think Adams is the best safety in the league. The Seahawks are always picking the end of the first round. They always make super weird ass picks to begin with that like kind of don't really like tend to factor into their team too much. I guess hopefully Brooks is going to be a little bit different for them this year, but when their strategy is just not overly geared towards the draft or it doesn't seem to be anyway, I don't freak out too much about giving up draft capital, uh, especially for a player of this caliber. I was a big Cam Chancellor guy. I could see a lot of Cam Chancellor's game in Adams, particularly if you look at his heat map and the fact that he moves around a lot. He's not playing only safety. He's coming down in the front seven. He's making a lot of plays in that way. I mean, he had that play against Daniel Jones last year where he basically ran into the backfield and it was just like a handoff and he just took the ball and ran it into the end zone. Uh, he's just, you know, he's different, man. He's like a little Tasmanian devil out there. Uh, one of the better safeties I think I've seen in a long time uh, as a 2017 third overall pick, I believe. So interesting to see him on the move. He finally got his wish. He was going absolutely bananas on IG Live after. He was smoking a cigar, playing a little beer pong or something like that with some friends. Just absolutely murdered out with his glasses on. So uh, pretty, pretty funny scene there. Jets fans feel bad for them. Uh, because this just feels like another indication that this organization just cannot handle star players, um, which is you know kind of tough when you're trying to rebuild. They're just in a constant state of rebuilding. They get these draft picks. I like Joe Douglas a lot, but like draft picks are only going to get you so far. You know, resources are only going to get you so far. You need a culture. I think culture kind of comes before winning a little bit, uh, at least most of the time. And there's a correlation. Yeah, there's a correlation, and bad culture is what led to Adams wanting out. And uh, two of the key factors in that, um, Adam Gase, head coach, is still there. Woody Johnson, uh, who was already looked at as an incompetent owner and now has had some very unflattering things leaked about him in the media, uh, about potentially being a little bit of a racist and a sexist, which I guess isn't overly surprising. Uh, He's currently Trump's ambassador to England or something right now, so... A lot going on there with him, and yeah, it's just it's a messy scene up there in New York. I don't really know what to make of it at this point. Like I said, I like Joe Douglas a lot. Still a fan of Sam Darnold to a certain extent, but uh, yeah, it's it's tough to tough to see uh, them lose a superstar like that. Garnett chiming in saying Adams Prime would have been wasted in New York. I kind of agree. He was already playing really well, and they weren't winning at all. So yeah, it's tough. There's the one the the one kind of argument that used to kind of make me mad, but it's making more sense to me now is that like you were losing with him anyway. And it used to make me mad when people said that, but you know, they were, they're a five and five and 11, six and 10 football team with him. Um, so it's, it's not like you're losing a ton when you can restart. And of course it saves money down the road. It, it lets Joe Douglas kind of strip down to bare bones, which they probably should have done even sooner. But at this point, you know, Darnold is in a year where, I truly believe I, I think I had a high evaluation on Sam Darnold. Uh, I had it Baker number one to, was the number one quarterback to me Then I had Lamar and Darnold graded very similarly with a high first round grade. 
Uh, and then there was a huge drop off after that. And I, I still trust my evaluation on Darnold. I've gone back and looked at him. He is in the year. This is truly a make or break year for him. And he's going to be damaged goods. If he is subjected to the same inept offensive play calling scheme talent and is not, you know, protected a little bit better and, and put to make some high percentage throws and get him comfortable uh, because there's a lot of happy feet that came. He's been getting hit a lot and now it's year three. Uh, that's, that's, you know, pretty far into a career for a quarterback. A lot of damage can come and not a lot of guys are able to turn it around in like year seven, you know, case, maybe case Keenum is like the only one that comes to mind. Alex where he Smith. was like, I, I, th- I think Alex Smith was always kind of good. Um, but yeah, that to an extent as well. So I'm just, Curious to see how that pans out. They got rid of Robbie Anderson. They bring in some rookies. But in the end, let's say Sam Darnold's not the guy. They want to let him walk. They don't want to pick up the fifth-year option. They now will have probably another really high first-round pick and another one this year and then another one next year. Do you want Trevor Lawrence? Do you want Justin Field? Do you want uh, you know? Do you want to move Makai Becton to right tackle and draft Penai Suell and have studs for Darnold. I think it's a it gives them a lot of move. I think it's Penny, right? Penai is kind of a tough look. I think it's Penny. Penny? I think it's Penny. All right, we'll go with Penny. Uh, see Alice Campbell. Uh Penai Suell is going to Sewell. you know Sewell. they've got a lot more cards on the table moving forward now. Um they don't have to pay Adams, so that's going to give me even more cap space. But what I will say is signing CJ to that monster contract looks really shitty right now. Yeah, I like and Le'Veon. There's just no strategy, like ultimately, like, and this is just this is a situation where I kind of don't necessarily want to judge them on that sort of wavelength because this guy was going to be gone regardless, and you managed to get all these picks for him and a pretty quality player. I will add in Brad, Bradley McDougal, but it's just another situation where a star is just displeased with management in New York, and management isn't going anywhere. So it's like, what are we doing here? And like you mentioned, Sam Darnold needs a bounce back here, big time. I don't even know if it's a bounce back if he hasn't really bounced. So he kind of needs to have a bounce here, a leap year, some call it. I might trend mm-hmm. to bounce here now. I maybe like that better. But Sam Darnold needs to break out. And uh, Gase is still there. Gase has had a few good years with Peyton Manning, who was pretty much running his own offense. He made Jay Cutler look pretty good in Chicago. Since then, not a whole lot. So, yeah, it's 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 a tough, tough look up there for gangrene. Definitely a tough look, and I think you got to think Gaze. Let's say they go five and eleven again. You got to think Gaze is out the door. Um, but yeah, and then I mean, in the end, gives them some opportunity. But they they pay a running back a lot. I'm sure they can probably get out of Le'Veon's contract next year or something, and it's not the end of the world. C.J. Mosley is probably the same deal. It's just how the or you the just fire it. just fire Gaze, keep Le'Veon Bell, hire David Shaw, and just run the fuck out of the ball. Or freaking Eric Bellamy, but putting the purple the lenses on the enemy. Um, putting the purple lenses on it just shows differences in philosophy in terms of draft capital versus you know getting the guy and the culture, the system, the player development, the coaching. Night and day, the Ravens would never, 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 never. I don't think they ever would have given that much draft capital up to go get someone when they have a franchise left tackle, a franchise cornerback, and a franchise quarterback already. Uh, so it just shows how teams have different strategies. I mean, go look at the Rams, the amount of trades they've done in the last five, seven years, less need is really mind blowing how much, how many first round picks and high round picks they've traded away to go get guys and, and gotten some back. So 
Uh, it just shows the Ravens are not into that model. I, I still truly feel like in the end, they've sniffed around too much. They sniffed around DeAndre Hopkins. They've sniffed around Adams apparently twice now a good bit. Uh, sniffed around Clowney, sniffed around all these things. It feels like things are operating and, and the NFL goes somewhat according to plan. They're going to make a move again by the trade line. And I would not be shocked to see them deal a round pick or a second round pick, but never, ever, ever in a world where you've got Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, and Marlon Humphrey, you're going to uh, make a move like that. And that just shows the difference between Schneider in Seattle and DaCosta in Baltimore. And the front office, you know, views things. Different, different business plans, different models of business. So... Some fun, fun way to look at it that way and just examine it with the purple lenses and, and see kind of how different teams run things. And that's sort of where I ultimately net out on it is everyone sort of has their reactions to it. And like I mentioned earlier, sort of the analytically inclined people were saying the Jets definitely won this. You can't give up all this for a safety. And I just kind of sit back and maybe this oversimplifies it, but I just look at the two organizations involved. One is the Jets and they were allegedly the winners to some of those people. And the other is the Seahawks, and they are the losers to these people. And I just can't help but think how many times have we seen trades like this between one organization that has shown that they want to try and win a Super Bowl every year and another organization that has been rebuilding essentially since I was born. So that's just kind of maybe that oversimplifies it, but that's just sort of the way that I look at it. And the Jets just kind of refuse to strip it down uh, to bare bones. And they've always kind of been one foot in, one foot out a little bit. And again, are they have the running back and the linebacker with these big contracts, but they trade away the safety, who's pro- who's more valuable than maybe the two of them combined, uh, and is younger and is ascending. And oh man, and Garnet West chimes in with a comment: If Gay gets fired, does JD go after Wink Martin? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Probably that would make a little sense. Uh, Wink's been around for a few years now. He seems so entrenched. I actually listened to Eric DaCosta's interview uh, with Albert Breer on Monday morning quarterback and his podcast. And uh, a gentleman in Twitter sent it to me and told me to listen. I don't normally listen to that, but it was the interview was not the current Raven all just about Eric DaCosta and how he got to where he is and all this stuff. And it just gives a lot of insight into maybe why Joe D really is signing so many Ravens. The, the personnel that the Ravens have had in the front office and the coaching staff really is extraordinary in the last 20 years. It's, it's kind of insane to think about, uh, which really includes Eric Mangini in, not, in like 1904 and 96 when the move happened. Uh, Eric Mangini was originally part have of like, you, uh, have dating you, back there's all these. Guys. Have you seen that Cleveland 95 documentary? Mm-mm. So it's a football life. And yeah, it's basically that whole origin story of the Ravens, essentially, and also of all these different executives and coaches that got their job. You had Mangini there. You had Pioli, Nick Saban, um, Savage, who, the guy in Atlanta, Dimitrov, I think was there. Uh, yeah, Savage, uh, just all these guys that were essentially ostensibly working underneath Belichick and Ozzy. And like, that's kind of how all of that, you know, those guys splintered off and became very successful in their own right. And then obviously Belichick went on to uh, become the greatest of all time in New England. And uh, Ozzy became one of the great GMs of all also, time in Baltimore. Yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy might be the greatest of all time GM. Um, the hits he's had, the Hall of Famers, all the good stuff. The way that the Ravens were always able to get free agents for decent contracts. And 
Uh, you know, Ozzy was perfect for a couple of years toward there, but still, well, he changed the game with the, uh, yeah, he changed the game with the compensatory picks. And now it's, uh, it's a little bit different because scouting departments, the playing field is a little bit leveled. You know, it's a lot less of like whispers about, Hey, do you see this guy? You see this guy? How do you get tape on him? Like everyone has all the tape. Everyone has equal access to the information. So, you know, less mm-hmm. bird dogging and hard work and more of just like straight up analysis. But, uh, he changed the game with, uh, you know, taking advantage of comp picks and, uh, yeah, just having a more robust scouting department and uh, embracing analytics in the form that they were in in the early 2000s. So, yeah, I could see that argument for sure. Right, and then that ties back to what we started on, which is that Joe D is doing everything he can to get players who understand culture, understand what the front office is supposed to be like, how the coaching structure is supposed to work, how practice is supposed to work, how, you know, you're supposed to carry yourself as a man and as a professional and all those things. So it makes sense, I mean, Ravens, you know, I don't call them the best organization in football, but they're consistently really good. Them, the Steelers, the Packers, the Patriots, the Seahawks over this past decade. I mean, you, you want to go steal a little bit of that magic. And Joe D was a long time. And it's just unfortunate. And you kind of see the difference in ownership and the way they run. Right now, Woody Johnson is actually going through a huge scandal. Uh, in terms of being related to the Trump presidency, the the White House, and trying to benefit the White House monetarily with his ambassadorship, and I mean, it, yes, I don't think Jets have, Jets fans don't love Woody Johnson by any means, uh, for the ones that I'm friends with at least, and it's it just shows you know how things go right, how things go wrong, and how guys will be saying you know, if you're a casual Jets fan, you might be like, oh, Joe Douglas sucks, this guy's a horrible DM, but I mean people have to for cards and that's why the interview from or a tougher hand i should have said but that's why the interview from eric Tacosta is fascinating because breer asked him many times about you know you had a lot of opportunity to leave baltimore and why you know why didn't you and how how close were you to and all of these things and uh DeCosta says that i knew from a young age that the grass is not always green. and that's an important thing to consider but at the same time, there's a fine line between that where obviously Costa was the guy. So Joe D's going to be the guy over to Costa. Joe D had to go somewhere, ends up with a shitty organization that's poorly run, inconsistent, and has a lot of disgruntled players and coaches and a lot of turnover. And, you know, it, you can't just blame it on Joe D. You can't just blame it on guy. Crappy as it is even. It's, it's a whole organizational structure. And you'd be right from the top down as well as from the bottom up and they got to move and it's it's tough to do, but those teams, you have to look at those models and that's why Joe D is trying to sell so many players, so many coaches, all these things. You want a little piece of Pittsburgh. You want a little piece of green Bay, Seattle, England, all these teams are consistently appearing in the playoffs, getting good players, making good decisions. You want to try and steal some of their mojo as you should. It's a smart move. To bring guys from those places and new england players patriots players on the free agent market get over 10 times out of 10 uh because they have culture they want to know they want the players the community that thing that's why i mean how many freaking head coaches directly under bill billich seven eight nine uh it's it's wild so it's the hierarchy of the nfl and it kind of shows in this trade the seahawks the jets uh and and garnet asking a great question about him after wink i would think he absolutely does yeah, that's man. If they did it though, like it just, I wouldn't be able to get it out of my head that literally almost a decade ago, a little bit more, uh, the Jets hired a Ravens defensive coordinator to be their coach. 
who essentially followed the exact model that he had seen with the Ravens a year prior in drafting a rookie quarterback, starting him right away, building a strong defense, and then uh, going to a couple championship games and then the bottom completely falling out. So you wouldn't want to see that happen. In fact, if I were the Jets, I'd probably go after Roman. If Sam Darnold has like well, a decent year. I, I think that Rex Ryan are two very different people. Might be somewhat similar, you know, football. Lines I'm not. Well, I'm not even like trying to make a comparison between the two guys. I'm just saying that like the Jets are literally just repeating history. Uh, in I don't know, like kind of like when they were they were played in championship games with Rex Ryan though. That's the thing. They're they're not even fucking close right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's so definitely well up above in my, in my no mind. it's definitely and they had like brian schottenheimer calling plays with like mark sanchez so it was a, it was a tough scene on offense but uh it, just, it would feel like history repeating itself a little bit i would go after roman it, if i were the jets absolutely yeah it makes a lot of sense but that's the i mean it's just crazy the raven had the two highest vote getters assistant of the year uh roman at least salah might have been seven and maybe uh wink was third it might have been that way but two of the you know most well-respected executives and, and why it's because they actually had coach that isn't a play caller that it can be, as I like to say, a play caller's paradise. And Roman has autonomy to, to a pretty high extent. Wink has autonomy to a pretty high extent. Uh, that's a play caller's paradise. And I guess looking at those teams, you know, Pete Carroll does have pretty strong defensive influence, but he's not going to be calling plays. Uh, you, you look at the Packers, they had McCarthy call plays and a fire game. You look at the Steelers, Tom's same tar ball, a play calling, you know, uh, overbearing, but, uh, executive he's president of the football team of the actual football team. Uh, so to a degree are quite successful and, and Belichick doesn't call plays. He listens, but he doesn't call plays. So I think that's the best way to go in the end for me, because having your, such a responsibility of being a head coach and where so many of my feelings go wrong is putting too much on their own plate and not being able to delegate successfully and bring in other good coaches. I feel that being able to bring in and delegate is a better skill than being a really good play caller as a head coach more times than not. Uh, so I like, I like going that way. I like going in that direction. So that's why I think maybe, I mean, wink, I don't know. It kind of sounds like he doesn't really want to become a head coach terribly. Uh, a lot of defensive coordinators, Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips was a coach. He was a decently successful one, but gets back to it, gets back to his roots of calling plays. And some guys are just that way. Greg Roman's an amazing play caller. How is he as a head coach? We don't know. Michael Scott was a great salesman. Michael Scott was a great salesman, terrible manager. You call that the Peter principle when you're qualified enough for one position and then you go up and you're not qualified for that. So little, little, exactly. spitting a little knowledge here on a, on a Tuesday night. Uh, so I guess we've covered enough Jets Seattle talk. Uh, we've talked player op outs. Uh, pretty much all we got left. Little NFL top one hundred. What are your thoughts so far? I I mean I love the NFL top one hundred, and I it's so funny when I go on Twitter and everyone's complaining and said like oh you know and and Todd Gurley at fifty like was you know bullshit whatever. But I don't it's like so the sick, list though. I love that. Like it just makes me laugh. It does make me laugh. And then they show this montage. It's like, what are, they, it's like, what do you do? Like, they know that the, like this, this isn't he right. He was actually like, Todd Gurley had a, a pretty scored 10 touchdowns. Like, he's he a great, lit it he, up a little. he's a great football player when he's like 100% healthy. Well, he was number four last year. 
But so people get all into get into that and get really mad about it. But I love watching it because I love hearing like one of my favorite ones so far was Christian Wilkins. They were interviewing to talk about Zach Martin, who was, you know, number whatever, 60, 70, whatever he was. And Christian Wilkins is talking about the technical prowess of Zach Martin and then showing plays and talking about plays where Zach Martin is laying on top of Christian Wilkins and inside zone stuff and uh, all these different plays. And I just love hearing the players talk about it and they admire and who they model their game after and all that stuff. And everybody f- out about the ranking, like, oh, you're disrespecting so-and-so. And blah, blah. It's, it's, it's Mark, Andrews like notably, player- Mark Andrews notably not on the list, which is kind of a tough scene. Neither is Waller, 1,000-yard tight end. Who? Darren Waller. Oh, yeah. yeah. Either thousand yard tight end. Um, and it, it happened, but I just love players, each other. The the players don't take it seriously. They fill it out. They fill out the the highlight guys, the popular guys, whoever's doing well that year. But, uh, I just love the part of it where you get to see, you know, uh, guys talk. I love hearing offensive linemen talk defensive line, who they think is a tough matchup and why. Then Ronnie Stanley comes on. It was well, my favorite. Seven. That was my favorite one because it had uh, Bakhtiari and who was the other guy on Green Bay who were, and it was just totally unprompted. And he was like, yeah, one of the younger guys that I've been watching a lot and really admire is Ronnie Stanley. And then they had that whole thing, his highlight package and the guys in the Packers talking about him. I just really like that. I'm with you, man. I like it a lot. I think it's a, a force for good for the most part because it shows uh, the players showing respect for one another and uh, yeah, just spreading the positive vibes. I like that. The rankings you can pretty much throw out, just you know, I it it is shitty that like maybe I don't even think you throw them out. Like you know, it's who they who the players are like think is popular and think is good and like is a highlight guy, like big names and stuff. It's it's just funny to see who they think about. And then Tiari, I actually love too because uh, Aaron Jones they interviewing to talk about Bakhtiari. He was like every time we run a toss with him, you know, sprinting out to the sideline. I, I just stay in his hip pocket and am amazed by what he does in front of me. And he talks about this one specific toss. I think it was against the 40ers. And you see Bakhtiari just destroy a quarterback like eight feet, like send him flying out of bounds from well in bounds. And it's very, very fun. See the players like kind of ooh and ah at each other. And then Mark Ingram talks about Ronnie Stanley and, uh, you know, people are talking about all these different guys. So I, I think the actual interview part of it is amazing. And like you said, the ratings, you can throw away, whatever. Uh, but to me, that's the the good stuff of it. I like to hear it. It's fun to watch. I think it's just fun to watch. It's a point of respect if you get on there, uh, you know, and the guys I'm sure that don't get on there probably get a little bit pissed off. About that is it. a really good way to put it. I mean, they put it who they respect. Yeah, they don't. Just, they're not getting into the yards per route run. And the freaking, you know, advanced metrics. It's very, it's very base. It's very base level shaw in your lower mouth football guy shit. And you're just like, this is like, I went up against this guy. He's like, and I think they do one through 20. He's like number 17 or whatever, which I like a lot. I, you know, there's plenty of room for the quality analysis and your PFFs and like whatever else that you've got out there that you can go and look at and Warren Sharp. And this is all great. But, you know, sometimes I like to just sit down pop a little popcorn, pour a little red, and just talk some fucking ball and watch some guys talk about, uh, you know, the, the other guys around the, the league that they respect. And if you want to get on that list, then uh, keep going out there and earning it. Marlon Humphrey tweeting three years ago, I want to be on the NFL Top 100, comes in at number 86, I think. Uh, you know, some people, people getting miffed about that, whatever. He's on the list. It's cool. Mark Andrews should have been on the list. He's not. Go out and earn it next year. That'll be very cool. 
Let's see what happens. Everyone's like, how dare you disrespect Humphrey? The blah, blah. Like, Marlon Humphrey played really well last year. Like, 2018. He should have been on it. He should have been on it. He could have been on it every year of his career. His rookie year, he didn't play quite enough. But uh, yes, and you have to earn the respect. That the, I really like what you said. I hadn't put it that way. It's who the players respect. And you, to earn respect, you've got to be consistently pretty good for you know a couple years. That's I why remember, J.J. Watt is still going to get I remember after 2013, which is maybe the worst year of Flacco's career, he was like 58th. And like that was because he had won the Super Bowl. Like It was still very fresh in their minds from two years before. So. Right. And then, like, the year after that, he had his best year in 14, and I think he was, like, in the 90s. So it's very much, it is, like, respect. It's very elemental, like, base level. This guy's at the top of my mind. I'm going to bring him up. But I, I like that about it. It's just players talking players, and they're just talking some ball. It's great. Exactly. Uh, it's fun to watch. I think people get a little bit too heated about that stuff. And, like, what's funny to me is, like, all pro list, who's an all pro is decided by this was a, a great tweet reporter. by yeah it's it's decided by a bunch of report it's not warren sharp it's not steve pulls it's not the pff like it's not the guys actually are grinding the hit out of the tape and also doing metrics it's a guys who you know like are us like are well it's like yeah, and well and sort of yeah it's 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 like journalists they like see the AP. high it's like AP train journalists. Like God bless Peter King. He is not breaking down the tape that like Steve Palazzolo is. And he's like right. voting on that stuff. Exactly. Which is fine. Exactly. So um yeah, Pro gets a ton of the they say on your Hall ballot. He was a seven time, you know, a three time team all pro, three time second team all pro, like Marshall Yonda when he goes to the Hall of Fame. They're gonna talk about his all they're gonna talk about all stuff. But at the same time, it's very arbitrary, so there's no point in complaining about it. If you make an opinion-based list, you're gonna get someone's gonna get mad. Someone's gonna say disagree. You need to get over it. Just get over it. It's not, not never gonna be right. You're never gonna agree with everything. You know, there are some like that's why I mentioned Todd Gurley. No one thought Todd. None of us are say Todd Gurley is the 50th best player in the NFL last year. Uh, but the players, you know, still think he's a freaking dog. And respect what he does. They respect his work ethic. They respect his talent. So they put him there. Someone and you know what? Off. Todd Gurley is probably in a little bit of a tough place right now mentally. He's had all these injuries, and he had a tough year last year, and he kind of washed out of L.A. Lands in Atlanta. Maybe it's just a, a good thing. You know, be happy for Todd Gurley that he gets to see that. And he gets to see those guys talking him up. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to have a good year this year. I like that. I had a shitty year last year. and might still put me 50. That's a good little ego boost. He's had a tough injury situation. That's a great way of looking at it. I'm very happy that you said that. Thank you for saying There's that. just so much negativity in the world. Let's just have a little bit of positivity here with this. Absolutely. And we can both be negative, Nancy's, about different things at different times. But you like that outlook on it. For what it is, don't look at it for what it's not. Enjoy it. If you don't want to watch it and you think stupid, then... Just fucking watch and shut the that's, hell up. That's mainly the thing with it is like you really just don't have to be tuned into this at all. Like it is literally the least important of like any <laughs> rankings you're going to see NFL wise. So you just don't have to be following this. And if you do want to hate follow it, then whatever. But just know that you're wasting your time. Like just. Just chill out. It easy. Take it easy. It's just a little thing uh, that I really enjoy and you do too. So we see Devin Funches also opted out who is the quote unquote see the big addition Packers offense, uh there was their passing game this year. You hate to see that for Aaron Rodgers again, but uh yeah, long story short, NFL top one hundred, I enjoy watching.
keep it an eye on tonight at 8 p.m i'm actually excited i forgot it keep it i didn't realize it was going every night I'm oh it's on tonight yeah, uh, your your I'm boy go your boy is uh, smack dab and a little bit of a uh, a madman binge here, so I'm gonna probably be missing that. Ooh. But I'll I'll watch the Lamar video if it comes on. I watched freaking five episodes of uh, oh my God, Blank and Neck show where they cover JUCO. Oh, colleges. last chance you. Last chance yes. you. Yeah. yeah, last chance you. Um, this is I don't I haven't watched every season. I think this is the third season I've watched, but this one is amazing. Uh, but Mad Men definitely, you get addicted. Mad Men is frustrating because nothing actually happens in the show, but it's so good. Yeah, it is. I've uh, I think I've struggled with that in the past. I tried to watch it when I was younger, uh, particularly like in college, and like this was at the same time I was discovering all these shows like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad, and I was like, this is boring. Uh, having a little bit more life perspective, I think, helps watching it. Absolutely, and I know a huge a huge part of those shows is nostalgia for people that were alive during those periods. And that's why, like, Mad Men, such insanely great uh, feedback at, on that part of it of being accurate with error and the the clothing and the, the set the design and like look. the costumes are incredible. Like, it, you really don't see a lot of that these days. Yeah, that's why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that we both love was also heralded so well because according to people who are alive, which didn't include us, it was like you know incredibly nostalgic and realistic and classic and all that good stuff. So. It's fun to know that when people who did live through that those time periods uh, say this amazing depiction of what life was like, then we know it's like history class kind of in a way, but with more cigarettes and whiskey. <laughs> just like boozing literally all day, smoking like lucky strikes and just being an Everywhere. absolute absolute shithead towards women. I mean, it's it's something. Matthew Weiner, the and, creator actually from Baltimore. Really? Yeah. He's uh I think he went to park maybe for elementary school, the park school. And I think they named a building or something after his family. I could be wrong on that. Hmm. There, there's some like Weiner theater stuff in Baltimore. I think it's named after that family. I'd make a lot of sense, but of Mad Men, very, very, very so great show. Haven't finished still though. Haven't finished it. Neither have I. I apparently, the, like I said, I started the ending. I heard it was okay. So it's interesting because I started watching it when I was at the beach. I've heard good things about the ending, but I was talking to my brother-in-law. He's not a big fan, so I'm gonna have to go ahead and uh, see for myself here. I, he doesn't. He and I don't always see eye to eye on stuff. Like, love when people have mixed reviews over endings. It makes me really excited. Sopranos is my favorite ending of all time, and that is maybe the most debated thing in TV history. Uh, like, of one of the most hated. One of the most usually hated. I feel like, and I love it. So maybe I'm weird. Yeah, let's think. Some people need closure in a show. They know where the main character goes and how it like they can't they can't take the Sopranos did. That's well, why I, I like it. that. I like that in some shows. Like it worked great in like Breaking Bad, but like the Sopranos expressly makes the point that's like, hey, shithead, that's not how life works, which I like. In my opinion, Breaking Bad should have ended after season four A, and they should have had season four B. So like when. Or is it A and five B? I think it's five A and five B. Yeah. So so five A is when Hank is like discovers it, right? Yes, and right there. I kind of like that. See, yeah, it's but people people wouldn't have because like that closure that five B gives them. Yeah, I agree. I think there's uh, there's plenty of room at the table for endings like that and uh, endings like The Sopranos. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, good. Enough. What else have I been watching? Hmm. 
I watched something really good. Oh, how to sell drugs online fast. Oh yeah, my, two, my yeah, my brother. Two seasons. That. Yeah, two seasons, six episodes each, five minute episodes. Bang bang done. Really made show. It is uh, dubbed over in British English as it is. I believe it's a German show. Uh, so the actors, their their lips are off and stuff and whatever, and you have to read captions sometimes. But uh, very good, very good little watch. That and Last Chance You is what I've watched this week. So. Highly recommend both of those to our listeners. Um, I guess that about does it for the most part. The last thing we had is that some more rankings coming out. The Athletic does their annual quarterback tiers. We actually saw Jeff's Rebeck, Omi, fire off a very kind of... uh, He he really only fires off those kind of strong opinionated tweets like when he... really gets mad about something he bottles he, bo- he, he, he bottles it up and sometimes he just absolutely lets the fury out which is what i love about jeff he's a pros pro who uh is willing to get up in the bird's nest and start firing pot shots every now and then and uh this was a good one exactly exactly when he just systematically destroys people it's the best uh when he like is just unbiased and void of emotion way possible dismantles people on Twitter is the best. Jeff is really is a pro's pro, but he, Jeff got a little, I would say testy or maybe upset at, so the athletic does 50 uh, anonymous executives out coaches. I might just be executives and scouts, but they rank the quarterbacks in tiers. They do it every year. Uh, this year, Lamar Jackson in at seventh on the list in I believe in tier two. Uh, and there's a couple quotes in there about it. They end up saying, well, former head coach, this is what Jeff got heated out, said that uh, basically insinuated Tom Brady would have beaten the Titans if he were on the Ravens instead of Lamar Jackson. And the irony of that statement is just profound because Tom Brady lost to the Titans. And what was upset about is that the Ravens' defense got manhandled as well as, you know, on both sides of the ball got manhandled. Derrick Henry blew them apart. Ryan Tannehill threw a 50-yard play-action touchdown the first play after turning the ball over on downs, or the second play after turning the ball over on downs. They had amazing play calling in the red zone. Derrick Henry threw a freaking pop pass touchdown, and uh, Jonu Smith catches that butt-cheek fade, which was an insane play in tight coverage. And the Titans just fucking beat the Ravens. Like, they outplayed them in the end. But the funniest part is that Tom Brady lost to the Titans last year. And a former head coach is like, oh, yeah. Well, that's where you you get former head coach. Like that, I was talking about like meathead football guy shit. That right there is a dude who's been like fishing for the last four years or something it's after he, after he washed out of like Jacksonville or whatever, wherever. And he's just happy that he's getting contacted for something like this. And he's maybe followed the NFL, you know, here and there he's checking red zone. He's checking his email, seeing if he's getting any offers. They're not coming, uh, playing a little bit of golf. And, you know, he, he gets an email from are you talking, uh, are you describing Jeff Fisher. Cause you, don't disrespect Jeff Fisher. No, like I wouldn't do coach Jeff like that, but he's just somebody maybe in that ilk. He also wouldn't have said that Jeff Fisher. Yeah, no, that's he's He's not a guy who would like to take a pot shot like that. I think he's a, a Lamar fan uh, reminds him potentially of, well, I was going to say Steve Young, but they did not get along. Maybe, uh, you know, little little Stevie McNair action. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think he's a guy who would not take a pot shot like this. I don't know who it is necessarily. Maybe I feel like this might be a Doug Marone situation. Uh, Doug Marone might say that. I, I like Doug Marone, and he was a pretty successful coach with a weird team. Not as like an insult I, even I to Jackson. I not even as like an insult to Jackson. I feel like he'd just be like, "Yeah, Brady, you know, he's he's an intangible guy. He works really hard." Like I like, and not yeah, not realize what actually happened. Yes, yeah, that exactly. would make sense. 
but then another executive goes on and calls him the most dominant player in football. Uh, so it shows varying opinion from these various people. And one of them was a former coach. So that like, why the hell is it included? And if he's the one who's talking the old smack. So Lamar comes in at number seven, right behind Brady. Lamar got tier one, 16 votes. You basically rank them. You say this got a tier one, a tier two, a three or tier four. You vote one of those for each quarterback. Uh, Lamar got tier one, 16 votes, tier two, 31 votes, tier three votes. And he was in tier four in 2019. So he did get three tier three votes. Um, an executive said the most dominant guy in the league. How is he not a number one tier right now? It's not a question to me. And then it goes on to say that what, what the writer who his name is a Mike Sando, pardon me. Uh, Mike Sando goes on to add his own little interlude that pretty much pissed me off as a uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, fanboy. And he said, Jackson belongs in the top half of the league if we waive the pure passing requirement that arguably, arguably has stood between the Ravens play and a playoff victory over the last two seasons. Pure pass situations arise, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, long story short, you know what he's going to say. The insinuation is that if Lamar Jackson were a better passer, that he would be a tier one quarterback. And because he's not a better passer, he's not a tier one quarterback. And they imply that if you take him out of his system, uh, he's not a tier one guy. He's a tier one guy in his system. And to me, that's just such freaking horse shit because you go look at uh, what Lamar is able to do in true passing phase, and the, the which is non-play action when it's just a straight drop back. He had a higher completion percentage on non-play action, true passing plays. He led the NFL in touchdowns uh, about... <clears throat> play action or excuse me. He was actually behind Jameis Winston and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's 66.9 completion percentage, which was good for fifth in the league on non play action plays. Uh, his play action metrics were good as he 14 touchdowns owner. So was he good in play action? Yes, very much so. But then you go and you look at the timing stuff as far as time in the pocket and when getting the out in under 2.5 seconds, which is quick passing. Uh, in other words, before pass rush and get home, Oh, he also led the end touchdown passes with 17. You can't run quick plat passing with play action. Uh, he was second quarterback rating, and his completion percentage was good for uh, 18, but not super high in the quick passing game and play or quick passing game that way. But to me, that just screams I can go and rip in any system. I can go run a West Coast offense and rip. You can get the ball out in under two and a half but well, really good pass shooting, really high touchdown rate, all things. So this narrative essentially what frustrates me is narrative that without the Ravens and without perfect marriage and blah, 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 that Lamar Jackson would basically be some piece of shit quarterback is insane to me. It's just absolutely, to me, it just shows that you don't actually watch and you probably have him under a microscope uh, instead of just looking through the same lens you judge all quarterbacks on as tends to happen with the threat quarterbacks in this league. So that was a little frustrating. PFF has him as the number two back in there. They simultaneously released their quarterback tiers, had him at number two, talked about the improvements that he made. And, you know, I like FF a lot. I agree with a lot of things. There's some things I don't disagree with, but I find them to be objectively clear and concise. And they see the improvements, they see accuracy, they mention it and the improvements that he made. And then they factor in the fact he is a dual threat quarterback. Uh, and he's damn good. I, you can put 
Mahomes ahead of him. I'm fine with that. You can make an argument for Russell Wilson. I can even hear an argument about like Drew last year, but after that, like, I mean, it's it's really hard for me not to put him in the top five. So I think that's just a little bit crazy. Uh, to those points, don't seem to ring that true. And again, it's just rankings and ratings and stuff, but those just seemed a little bit out there to me. I'm more of a peer one guy. Peer one imports. Yeah, you like to go get some uh, some some nice china and furniture from China. I do. I think they're uh, I think they're going to be liquidating a lot of their physical locations though, so they might be pivoting to online, which may be good for them. I feel like uh, with Wayfair taking some big time hits recently in uh, terms of public opinion, maybe we can all switch to peer one imports. But uh, yeah, it, you know, I I, I don't want to like do shift into the nothing matters thing, but like this is another thing where if you're saying that he's just a system guy. I don't know if that's the entire like argument that is being made here that is being boiled down to something that simple. But if you're saying something like that, like I'm just not going to listen to you. Like you're just wrong. Like watch the tape. You have immediately invalidated credibility. Like I mean, even just it, looking at his traits, like he's you know one of the most athletic players we've ever seen at the position. He is, you know, he's improved his base over from last year, widening it out. You know, becoming more strong down there with his legs, shaking players off. You know both within the pocket and, you know, outside of it, getting stronger, getting stronger armed, becoming more accurate. He's just a really good quarterback. I mean, he's obviously helped by his system a little bit, but he facilitates the system existing with his own unique skill set. So it's just, uh, you know, it's a, you know, an argument that I'm already tiring of having. Like I've said before, I had to defend Joe Flacco for like a decade. I just don't want to have this discussion anymore like he just won the mvp what are we doing come on mike sando exactly who garnet says voted, which is also voted on by a bunch of reporters garnet says mike's <laughs> podcast is ass and sometimes decent which is not a great endorsement there for mike sando come on mike get your head get your head so get your get your get your get your head out of the sando there mike yeah mike mike uh, but yeah, if he's a Steelers, and this is my thing with Steelers fans' opinions on Lamar Jackson. His worst game of his career was in Pittsburgh. It's the only time he started them. They've only watched that game in full, so they think he sucks. Uh, that's which is kind of sick. I like that. That basis yes, for thinking. It means that, that they're going to get shredded soon. Uh, that their Steelers are due for a shredding. They got the shit kicked out of them by RG three. So I don't like RG three didn't even throw hundred yards in that game. Uh, but. And yeah, it's all arbitrary, but you invalidate your credibility to me. If those are the arguments that you're making, you're ignoring, uh, there's this narrative that he's an average passer and all this stuff. And you can go on the deep ball project that Johnny Kinsley does for football outsiders. You see Lamar Jackson, 12th passer last year, accuracy between, uh, the 26 and 35 yard range. You can go look at all these things. Like you just said, he proved, but the, the number one most slept on thing is always and will always be what uh, our good friend Matt Wall said, and it's that he is the hottest of the highest level processor on, you know, second and third read stuff. He got a really high grade from PFF on second read and third read uh, throwing that. And if you're not looking at how he's able to process a defense once the ball snaps, then you're ignoring arguably his greatest strength, uh, especially as a path. So if you're just not bring that up, not think about that, then you're invalidated. Not credible Garnet asks opinions on John Daka. I think he's a terror. 
I saw him play in once. I've watched I watched their games live last year. He is a nightmare, crazy strong rusher. Reminds me of a teeny, teeny little uh, Daniel Hunter from Minnesota. Uh, apparently, he's bulked up quite a bit. He has a lot of length and a lot of ability to keep bulking up. So I think he is like a, a, babe, a baby hunter. That is my opinion on John Doc. I think he has tremendous value on the road. But I don't think he uh, he might not ever even make the team. He might not end up being a you know ten sack guy or anything. But I think he really can speed on third down. And he had a lot of run stops last year. He led the the FCS in axe and tackle for loss last year on a tremendous uh, JU team. So I'm very high on John Doc with Jacob Bruland being out for the year. Another bit of news that we kind of didn't touch on, but not huge news when a UDFA is whatever. Uh, he, with him being out for the year, DACA might be my new pick because I think him, or, either him or Chauncey Rivers makes that fifth outside backer spot on this roster. Baby Hunter is, uh, we got to get that going. Baby Hunter. Are yep. you aware of uh, the nickname they have bestowed upon me? The Baby Hunter. <laughs> I will find any baby. I love my nickname. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, what else we got? Anything or are we good? We are good. Uh, I think that gets us out of here. Okay, that is good, good stuff. Good to get back into the studio here after a nice, lovely week off. I got to get down to the old uh, Ocean City, Maryland, Friday to Friday. Had a little, uh, you know, nice little relaxing beach week. Got, got to be by the ocean, which has medicinal properties. I've always said that. Got some reading in. Uh, it was nice being off, but uh, it's glad, great to be back. You know, happy to jump into the studio with you, and uh, training camp is pretty much here, bud. Training camp is here. We are ready to rock and roll. Hopefully, let's go somewhat smoothly, but anticipate many hiccups. That is my uh, my. I feel like that could be, if- honestly, just a slogan for our podcast. Hopefully, things yes. go smoothly, but anticipate many hiccups. That'll be our next shirt to put out. Awesome. You have anything else? Awesome sauce. Nope. That about does it. Uh, I'm going to get us out of here. I'm going to take it over, see if I can do what Jake does. You can follow the podcast at Podcast Beatdown on Twitter. You can follow Jake at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. You can find my dumb self at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. As well as Instagram, be more beat down. Uh, go find us, find all of our content. Kyle Barber just did a fantastic annual kicker review. Uh, he does really great work. The things that I enjoy about what he does is he goes and looks at you know the the kickers that get a lot of juice and he examines their average uh, distance of miss and their average distance of completion to try and uh, see where guys are missing, where they you know where they're good from, where they're not good from, and and how much is asked of them. You can kind of see. Uh, as far as distance, and then he also broke down the different the d- dome versus retractable roof versus outdoor and all of those different things. And uh, you can kind of go examine some different things. Kyle is a special teams guru. He loves special teams, all things special teams. So definitely go check out his annual kicker review uh, available now at baltimorebeatdown.com. And we're going to start trying to pump some more articles out as we get some stuff going. But at this point, I am a little burnt out on stuff from last season. I, I did the screen thing. I did the offensive preview thing, and I, I rewatched every single Ravens play from 2020, and I'm good. I don't ever need to watch those again. Uh, I was actually joking about that with Jonas Schaefer because I charted every single screen, which encouraged me to go back and just watch every single play. And I misunderstood a tweet that Jonas sent me 
back in April, or excuse me, June, where he told me that he charted every single screen. And I misread said. So I ended up spending a month rewatching every single play and charting all of the screens only to find Jonas had already done it. But I missed three and he missed two. So together we found all of them. We got to get him on here with you. I think we've had him on the show twice and you haven't been able to make it both times. Correct. He's a great guy. Jonas Jonas a lot. He's, I I think he's fantastic. He's the first guy the Baltimore Sun has had that kind of does his own charting a little bit, does his own uh, quantitative analysis of things. And I think he's got really, really, really a good football mind and a good journalist mind. So I think that that's a great combination to have. He's a dual threat journalist. So we'll put it that way. Hopefully we'll, we'll reach out to him. We'll see if we can get him on the show soon, but that about does it for us. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure to give us a five, five star rating in the audience charts, and we will see you next week. Peace out. See ya. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>